From KLIN Radio and the Lincoln Independent Business Association, this is the Lincoln Business Beat, a weekly summary of news affecting area business and a review of interesting topics and issues. Along with LIBA President and CEO Bud Seinhorst, I'm Mark Vail. Glad to have you joining us. Lincoln Business Beat is made possible by the 1890 Initiative. Visit 1890nebraska.com where 100% of your donation goes directly to Husker student-athletes. But a uh, busy week, uh, a lot of news coming out of Lincoln Public Schools, and uh, and it isn't even budgets this time. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of education week here on the Lincoln Business Beat, so... Yeah, we're going to, uh, on our deep dive, let's let's just touch on that so that we get people to stay with us through this yeah, one. Our deep uh, dive will get an interesting guest. Yeah, and so... We had uh, Senator Linehan here a couple, three weeks ago. She talked about um, LB 573. Okay. I thought it was 574, so I'm glad Mark got me. It's LB 573, which uh, has been aptly just called the school choice bill. And that's what we've been talking about. There's a group that's running a petition against it. And there's actually a, a national expert in this area who's in Nebraska these next few three or four days, um, kind of traveling around the state talking about it, Corey DeAngelis. So I'm excited that Corey reached out, wanted to be on the Lincoln Business Beat. Um, and so stick with us to our deep dive because I think you'll find it interesting. Um, he's out talking to elected officials and people across Nebraska. In the news this past week, we uh, undercovered, uh, uncovered, I should say, uh, an LPS, Lincoln Police Investigation, where a 26-year-old man who was a 2015 graduate of Lincoln Southeast had re-enrolled under a false enrollment. He had a birth certificate, a transcription, and a medical uh, physical, all which were fraudulent. But he actually got enrolled back into Lincoln North, uh, Northwest and Lincoln Southeast and spent 54 days in classes in this past school year. Created quite a news story for us. It, it did. It created quite a stir. And, you know, I don't know about you, Mark, but I heard from a lot of parents that there were a lot of red flags tied to this. Um you know, uh, obviously there's a question of he graduated in 2015 at Southeast. Wouldn't wouldn't somebody kind of vaguely recognize him? In, Hard to say. There's a lot of students, depending on what well, there classes was a, you're going through. Well, 2015 and going through the pandemic, a lot of staff turnover, as we've had yeah. in a lot of places. Uh, all of the stuff that's happened within uh, education through the pandemic and trying to get restarted. That doesn't really surprise me because, you know, the number of, of students that were enrolled there would have switched over entirely in in that amount of yeah. time. Plus the opening of, of Northwest High School uh, siphoned some students out. Well, of, he actually went to Northwest and then came to Southeast. Is right. that right? But <laughs> Yes, but I'm talking about yeah. uh, just from a total enrollment for people I haven't yeah. remembered. So uh, that doesn't surprise me as much as the fact that the fraudulent uh, documents were able to slip through. Well, the fraudulent uh, there's the fraudulent documents which were pretty curious. I mean, that's going to a pretty deep extent, I guess is the best way I can put it right now, uh, or best thing that comes to mind. But it, it's really amazing that you would go to that kind of trouble to be able to re-enroll in school. Well, I'm he had other alternatives. Well, he had, he had all, ulterior all, motives, yes, obviously. Thank you. Yeah, he had other motives, and so. Uh, as is the case in many of these types of situations, a lot of planning, a lot of uh, work goes into setting up, in this case, the facade of being a high school junior. Well, and I think uh, the other thing that I have 
heard quite a bit of is he was in class 54 days. And when you talk about state attendance requirements and such, it'll be interesting what we see come out throughout this investigation and throughout this process, because statutorily, um, when a student misses that much school, there's supposed to be contact made with parents and or the county attorney. And so I don't know if that's happened or not, but there's been some educators that have reached out and they're like, 54 days of school, like that's that's barely not a quarter, which is ha- you know one quarter of the year, nine weeks basically. So how was this not reported? So it, it, it's going to be something that I think people should continue to watch and I think maybe uh, might cause LPS to reconsider some different policies and evaluate how they do certain things. And I'm sure they're, they're going to be scrutinizing uh, the attendance, as you mentioned, attendance records and and some of that as well going forward. So I don't think we've heard the last of this, but this is certainly going to be a catalyst for a review of a lot of processes uh, when it comes to enrollment and uh, attendance. Yeah, I, I absolutely think so. And I, I and there's been some other things that have happened throughout the course of the year, um, you know, where people have had some questions. So I think it's, it's going to be an opportunity for LPS to do some evaluation, some self-evaluation and and maybe change some of their policies and look how they manage those things. Big policy um, announcement this week, and that is on mobile devices, uh, more commonly known as cell phones. Yeah. A big issue in schools all across the country and uh, allowing them in. And the Board of Education, uh, I believe, do- adopted the new policies that Dr. Gausman and his crew had put together. Uh, elementary schools are pretty much being left alone because they're – Kids had to just leave their phones turned off in their backpacks all day. So nothing yeah. nothing changes there, but the changes are in the middle schools and the high schools. Yeah, the middle schools, they must be powered off and out of sight at all times, including during lunch and passing periods between 8 and 3 p.m. So I I have a daughter that's going to – is middle school age now. She's going to be a middle schooler starting this fall, and um, she does not have a cell phone yet. She has an old cell phone that basically serves as an old iPod. <laughs> you know, we're going into, we're referring to iPods, and I think there are people that are like, are kids that are like, what's an iPod? Um, it's a, it's a, just a, a newer version of a cassette player. Yeah, basically, <laughs> I mean, it's a phone that's just not connected. But um, but, but I think it's, it's going to be, I don't know how big of an issue phones in classrooms have been. I don't know that they really discussed that a whole lot. And then we look at the high school students, they must have, their phones off and away from them during class, but they can use them before and after school, between periods and during lunch. So um, so they still have access to their phones. They can still power them on after class. They can, you know, between periods or during lunch or what have you in the building. And then, um, you know, there's some disciplinary measures that were outlined here too, which I thought was kind of intriguing. And what were those? Um, well, if a student uses their phone in class, uh, staff will first ask the student to put it away in a designated storage area in the classroom. Um, and if the student does not comply, the device will be taken to the main office for the rest of the day. As a last step, students will be removed from the classroom if they continue to not comply. Um, you know, they're still allowed to wear their smartwatches but can't use them uh, for communication purposes. And uh, teachers may still allow phones for instructional use. So there's a little bit of teacher discretion there. 
Um, and, and the smartwatch thing was interesting that they put that out there because um, I actually recently cut the cord from my smartwatch and I got the old fashioned, you know, with the second hand, the hour hand and the minute hand. Um, but I don't think if you're if you're. Watch isn't connected to your phone. I don't know how you communicate through that. So. If the watch has a Wi-Fi capability built yeah. in, you can communicate. So they can still, I guess, get on the internet and all that kind of stuff. That's too small a print for me to think about using the internet for. <laughs> mine, mine too. <laughs> mine too. So, well, there was, this, there, and this will go into effect this fall, and we'll see what happens. I don't remember which school it was, but this was kind of a pilot project, uh, at least for part of this past school year in in one of the schools, and I think it. Probably I had some tweaking done on it, mm-hmm. and, and I don't remember just exactly the details. But I do know that it was um, there. There was a pilot project on this, so glad yeah, to... I remember reading that, and I can't remember the school that they tried it at either. So we'll see. And I, I think I've heard people that support this, and I heard people that don't support it. Right, and the thing, the one, the folks that are concerned about it have said, "Hey, look." If my kid needs to get a hold of me during the day, how are they going to do it? Um, if there happens to be an unfortunate situation, how am I going to get a hold of my kid? Those kind of things. I get that. Um, and then the supporters are saying things like, you know what? Good on them. Um, you know, good for them to try to get the kids to focus during that class period, or that time period on their uh, studies versus, you know, what's going on on their cell phone. Well, and it also gives them a chance, uh, especially at the more formative uh, ages, uh, grade school, you know, uh, elementary and middle school, to to not have the distraction of not engaging each other in conversation and interaction, which is proving to be a, a bigger issue in some of the studies I've read recently, where uh, younger people are having a tougher time interacting on a personal level. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think it's you know, I mean, personally, I see I see both sides of this. But as you're saying, the interaction and, and as I said, the focus on their education versus, you know, oh, the teacher's giving a lecture. Let me put my phone under my desk and play solitaire. Well, kids aren't playing solitaire, playing Minecraft or Roblox or whatever it is. Or TikTok. Or, <laughs> or TikTok or yeah. what have you. Um, they're actually going to be dialed into what's going on in the classroom. So I, I, I see both sides. Years ago, uh, before this was really an issue in schools, uh, I served on a jury one time, and we weren't even allowed to bring our phones into the courthouse at that point. Oh wow! And I was—it was interesting just to to hearken back to that and say how much more focused I actually was during the the trial and and the discussions. You know, you what, mentioned that though, and I I talked about cutting the cord on my smartwatch here a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago, um, like. My phone sits on my desk, and it's not with me all the time. So when I'm in meetings and my phone's on my desk, if I get a text message, I don't know about it till after the meeting. And so just for me personally, the cut from the smartwatch has been kind of, I'll say, more dialed in a little bit too, like you're saying when you couldn't have your phone in the courthouse. So I, uh, I've got one here. I'd be glad to sell you if you <laughs> want to get back to it. I've got one at home. I, <laughs> I just like – I decided to buy a new watch and – um you know, I've always been kind of a, now we're going down a rabbit hole, but I've always been kind of a watch person. I love watches. And so I'm like, mm, you know what? I, I, f- I found a watch that I liked and I was like, I'm going to buy this watch. And I was wearing it one day. My wife's like, hey, is that a new watch? <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> yes, dear. 
LPS going digital on, on something else this fall, and that is, we used to have a little slip when I, back 50 years ago when I was in high school, it was just a little slip of paper, but now it's digital hall pass. Well, and you know, when I was in school, we had like the little slip of paper might be laminated. Some teachers got creative and like made you carry a ping pong paddle down the hall that just said hall pass for, you know, Mr. Jones or, or what have you. Um, but they're going to these digital hall passes. And, and I'll be honest with you, Mark, this is, this is one where I probably get a few more concerns and also a few more questions. Um, so the digital hall passes will be in the eight high schools to track missed instructional time and limit out-of-class behavioral issues. Um, and it will be accessed via their Chromebooks. Here's my question on that. So if I have to go to the restroom during class, do I have to carry my Chromebook? No, to, I, I think to you, 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 I mean, you know, it's one of those weird things like, hey, I'm going in the bathroom. <laughs> Gonna have my Chromebook. I think you, what you do is you, you request the pass, and once it gets gets there, they know. And, and I think all the students are wearing name tags, aren't they now? Yeah, they have to have and, name and badges, so, lanyards. So that, that would be a, a way to track them with barcodes and things like that. So hmm. Yeah, that might be it. So it'll be um, – and they're allowed three passes per day. They can go to the bathroom, the library, the office, the nurse, the counselor, other classrooms, what have you. And teachers do have the discretion. Teacher and staff – teachers and staff basically have the – discretion to add another one so yeah i don't know it it talks about in the, in the articles that i've read and the information i read it's going to be on their chromebook so um maybe with their um id i guess they'll be able to do something i don't know so we'll see how that goes i think there's there's some and there's some concerns that have been raised uh that i've seen on social media uh from parents that has to do with the chromebooks and um, are they going to be having an app on their Chromebook for tracking? And when does the tracking start and when does it stop? And is it going to be while they're at work at the local restaurant or boutique? Is it going to be while they're out cruising O Street on Friday night? There's So there's some questions and concerns there that probably just need to be answered more than anything. Right. And, and it's not exclusive. The digital system is not exclusive. There are some options if they don't have the Chromebook, the teacher can, uh, or the whoever is monitoring, if it's a study period, mm-hmm. can grant the pass. Or there's also the option of a paper pass. Yeah. And there's uh, the other fascinating thing um, when I was doing some digging into some of this is apparently the parents, and, and, and then I guess the other question before I go into this is how are we going to use that data and will it be shared anywhere? And I don't know... That's really necessarily been answered. But in my research, I found that um, students age 13 and under can opt, the parents can opt out, but I don't believe there's an option to opt out between 13 and 18 or 19 when they graduate. So that's, that's a little interesting too. So I'm, I, I'm going to do some more digging into that, but that's just some research that I've been able to do here in my spare time this week. And I would imagine it'll be tweaked as as it goes forward, too. Most yeah. of these systems are, always get tweaked and, and things like that. Well, a lot of uh, new things for uh, LPS. It's kind Looking, of education day. Yes. I'm glad you educated me. <laughs> <laughs> well, and we're probably going to get educated in our next se- segment, too. Yeah. Uh, 
Corey DeAngelis, he's the executive director at the Educational Freedom Institute. You said he's traveling in the state this week, and uh, we're going to do a deep dive with him. Yeah, he's um, he's been around talking about uh, school choice. He's uh, he's around the country. He's the executive director at the Educational Freedom Institute, and he does a lot of speaking. He's written a lot of articles and. I'm assuming that one of the groups brought him in to, to travel the state and talk with folks. So I've seen on Twitter where some of our elected officials have been tweeted out by him. So um, quite interesting. And the governor held a news conference, and, and part of it is on the uh, uh, educational opportunity scholarships. Yes. And we talked with Senator Linehan a few weeks ago about that, and this is uh, getting a little tense between the different sides. So Yes, there's very much some tensity. I guess that's not even a word, tensity. I knew what you meant. (laughs) We'll do our deep dive next. Husker fans, you've probably heard about NIL, name, image, and likeness. And now you can have an immediate impact on the success of our programs. The 1890 Initiative is Nebraska's premier NIL company. And with your help, we can maximize our student-athletes' opportunities with NIL and prepare them for life after college. Nebraska's always been a leader in college athletics. Let's do the same with NIL. To learn more, visit 1890nebraska.com, where 100% of your donation goes directly to Husker student-athletes. That's 1890nebraska.com. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Back on the Lincoln Business Beat, uh, the past several weeks we've talked a lot about education, uh, funding, and a whole lot more. But we're going to do our deep dive today on uh, part of the education things that making a lot of news in the state of Nebraska. And we're welcoming in a, a special guest, the executive director of the Educational Freedom Institute, uh, Corey DeAngelis. Welcome to the Lincoln Business Beat. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Corey, thanks a lot for uh, joining us. It's uh, I think you are the first national guest we've had here on the Lincoln Business Beat. Uh, so we're, we're proud to have you on here. And we as I as I've told our listeners in our first segment we've we've had senator linehan on here she was uh the the driving force behind lb 573 this last session and you know now we've got the petition drive that's uh trying to over or take it to a vote of the people and i know that there's another group that's trying to get people not to sign and and i know you've been involved in i'll just blanket it as school choice around the country so Tell us a little bit about why you decided to come to Nebraska. Yeah, look, the people trying to get people to to get voters to sign away their parental right to choose the best education for their kids are just trying to keep their gravy train going, trying to protect the status quo. 
and they're they're spreading a campaign of lies. I mean, they're just straight up lies about the program, trying to say that it's for rich people when you have to be low income to even qualify for the scholarship. Uh, one petitioner even said that if you sign the petition, that means you support uh, low income scholar uh, scholarships for low income families, which is the total opposite. They're trying to undo the program to give scholarships to low income families. So it's just a, a ton of baloney. And it's, it's it's funded by the national and state level leftist teachers unions. The NEA, for example, has poured eight hundred thousand dollars into their campaign to take away parental rights and education. And look, this has already been decided by the voters. Voters elected uh, senators in the unicameral here in Nebraska that overwhelmingly voted for opportunity scholarships with a two-thirds filibuster-proof majority. Uh, they're just trying to get another bite at the apple to try to block parental rights and education. That's not going to happen. The, the, other unions have done this in other states. In Arizona, for example, they tried something similar to put it onto the ballot after it already passed through the legislature. They didn't get enough signatures there. It's looking like they won't be able to do it in Nebraska either. So I want voters to know the facts and to tell people not to sign away your parental right to choose the best education for their for your kid. So I think uh, I saw on Twitter last night you were in Kearney uh, with some of my friends, Senator John Lowe from Kearney uh, and a couple members of our State Board of Education. Um, and, and, you know, Elizabeth Techmeyer represents 44 counties across western Nebraska and Sherry Jones uh, from Grand Island uh, was in that as well. What, what kind of things are you talking about them with and what are you hearing from those elected officials um, about this whole process and campaign yeah i mean i'm talking about how it's happened in other states and they failed to undo parental rights in other states and how if anything nebraska should go further in embracing uh education freedom because other states have in the past two years alone uh other red states nine of them in fact have gone all in on school choice and what do i mean by that every single family in states like arizona west virginia oklahoma ohio Nine states with GOP trifectas have now allowed all families, regardless of income, regardless of background, regardless of zip code, to be able to take their children's state-funded education dollars to the education provider of their choosing. So that could be the public school if you want. If you like your public school, you can keep your public school, unlike with your doctor. For real, you can keep your public school <laughs> with these programs. In fact, the public schools up their game in response to competition, and, and they end up doing better. There's so much evidence on this. 29 studies uh, exist on the topic, and 26 of those 29 find statistically significant positive effects of private school choice competition on the outcomes in the public schools, too. This is a rising tide that lifts all boats. But in all of these other states, every family can take that funding also to a charter school or private school or even a home-based education option. So Nebraska took a huge step in the right direction, getting the first private school choice program in the state to pass this uh, this year. But if anything, it should go further. They should expand the program, uh, not get rid of it. They should expand it to all families, and hopefully uh, legislators feel emboldened to do so, especially after seeing other red states uh, doing the same thing, particularly after the, the leftist teachers unions closed the schools and showed parents that there's a lot of indoctrination going on as opposed to education. Parents who thought that their kids were in great institutions based on test scores started to see that there's another dimension that's really important, too, of school quality that, that happens to be whether the school's curriculum aligns with your values. 
And so parents have been mobilized all across the country, pushing back at school board meetings, but also pushing back at the ballot box and going to the Capitol to tell their legislators to uh, empower families with with true freedom in education, which is giving you the ability to vote with your feet to the institution that that best aligns with your values. So I, I think you're getting a little bit of a tour of uh, Western, Central and Western Nebraska while you're here. Uh, I think, uh, as I said, you were in Kearney last night. I think you're in Grand Island tonight. Is that right? And then uh, where else are you going and kind of what's what's the what, what are you trying? What are you hoping that when people uh, visit with you or come out and see you when you're at one of these events, what are you hoping is their takeaway on this? Yeah, I'm doing a pretty uh, large tour with different radio stations, TV. I'll be at a Catholic high school here in Kearney at noon uh, right after this. Uh, and then, yes, I'm, I'll be in uh, Grand Central tomorrow uh, tonight at 6 p.m. at a at a church there to do an event as well. But I want people to come away with the facts that this doesn't destroy public schools. It makes them better. This isn't private versus public. This is just about parent options. We want families to have the choice to determine where that money ends up. And to just uh, set the record straight, I mean, if anything, the public schools end up more well-funded mathematically. Think about it. The the public schools in Nebraska spend about $17,000 per student, an amount that has increased after adjusting for inflation by 188% since 1970. So money's not the issue, first of all, in the schools. It's more of an incentive problem. But the scholarships are only about $8,000 per kid. And so the public schools get to keep thousands of dollars for fund for students who are no longer there. So mathematically, they end up with higher per student revenues and expenditures. This is a win-win solution. And this isn't something new. This We've had school choice programs expanding in different states for decades now. In fact, there are some states like Maine and Vermont, they've had voucher programs or scholarship programs since the 1800s. And they actually made these programs because they had students in areas that were so rural that they didn't have public schools. So the state understood in Maine and Vermont that if you don't have a lot of options, and Nebraska has rural areas too, that's an argument for expanding options. Give that funding to the parent, and they did so in Maine and Vermont in the 1800s, still do with these town tuitioning programs. You can use that scholarship to go to a public school in another area or even a private religious or non-religious school. So Nebraska's finally figuring this out over a century later. Maine and Vermont had this figured out a, a long time ago. Even in, in rural areas, the nine most rural states, according to the Census Bureau, already have some form of private school choice. And now Nebraska is joining the school choice wave as well. OK, so you mentioned Maine and Vermont and some examples there of how it's worked. Are there other states that you can I mean, that you can talk about a little bit where um, this program maybe has passed yeah. and it's been implemented and and we've seen improvement in things like student outcomes yeah. across the board, not just in the private schools, but also in the public schools. Yeah, it's actually a meta-analysis in a journal called Educational Policy published in 2019 by uh, University of Texas Austin researchers. They pulled all the effects together on all the studies on this topic, finding overall statistically significant positive effects of competition on the public school outcomes, too. But if you want a, a specific example, look at Florida. They just went all in on school choice this year. They have universal school choice. Everybody's eligible. They passed it this year, but they've been expanding it slowly for decades. Uh, and the past over the past couple of decades, they've gone from the bottom of the pack on the nation's report card. I think they were ranked 47th or something like that. But in the most recent outcomes, 
they've uh, been in the top five, depending on whether you're looking at math or reading or, or the grade level you're looking at. They're in the top five in all those different types of outcomes. So Florida has massively expanded school choice. They've also massively improved their public school system without dumping a ton of more resources into the system as well. Florida spends less than the national average, a lot less than than they spend in Nebraska per student. And they are uh, just killing it on the nation's report card. And the latest study out of Florida found that it didn't didn't just improve test scores. It also improved attendance by the students because, uh, hey, you you allow uh, students to uh, be in an environment where where they choose, first of all, but then also where the school has an incentive to listen to them and their parents. They're more likely to show up each day. And uh, they also found improvements in behavioral outcomes as well in the public schools. Excellent. I think Mark might have a question. The effort to the decline to sign in Nebraska, uh, there's been some uh, discussions and there's been anecdotal evidence of uh, misinformation uh, given out. Can you give us some of the specifics where uh, bad information or wrong information has been told to people? I, I think clearing this up, it, it's created some confusion out there. So what's wrong with with what they're saying? Yeah. Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff, but you know, for the for one example, they've said that if you sign the petition, that means you support scholarships for low income kids. That's the program, but the petition is to get rid of that program. So they're saying the complete opposite, depending on who they're talking to, just to try to to get you to sign it. Um, so that's that's one issue. They've also said that this is a program that benefits rich people which makes you believe that these are scholarships for rich people, but you have to be at the poverty level or less to even qualify for these scholarships. So that's misinformation. This is a program that vastly benefits low-income families. Um, and I, I think that everybody should be eligible, like in other states, these uh, these nine other states that have gone all in, but Nebraska didn't pass that program. This is an income-targeted program that could expand later, but the petition signers have been telling people that this this benefits rich people. That's that's just not true if you look at the current program. And they also say that it it, it uses uh, taxpayer dollars and takes that money from the public schools. No, this is funded through a tax credit mechanism. These are private dollars, not taxpayer dollars. If you look at the uh, Supreme Court decision in 2011, I want to say it's ACSTO versus Win. Uh, they defined um, say that private dollars remain private until quote. They enter the tax collector's hands. These are private donations, not taxpayer dollars. And if anything, the funding doesn't belong to the schools, even if it was uh, paid through uh, public funds. The money is meant for educating the child, not for protecting a particular institution. Uh, And they should be able to determine. You can still take it to the public school if you want. So tons of misinformation. Those are just a few examples. But And they're also trying to say, oh, we just want the voters to decide. Oh, really? This do you put everything on the ballot? I mean, the 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 voters already decided by electing senators who overwhelmingly voted for this with a two thirds majority. Do they put every public school funding increase on the ballot and say, oh, we got to let the the, the voters decide? No, they say, oh, we elected these people who voted for public school funding increases. We don't try to take that to the ballot. I mean, that wouldn't make any sense. It it would just that's that is not uh, the, the typical process. And what they're really trying to do is trying to get any they're, – they're desperate for any chance to take away parents' right to choose so that they can force you to send your kids to their institutions that are more likely to be staffed by the unions, leftist groups. I mean the NEA has dumped $800,000, the National Education Association, into their Support Our Schools campaign. I say support our students. 
They want to protect the buildings. Uh, but the NEA, they've given in 2022, according to Open Secrets, over 99 percent of their campaign contributions went to Democrats in, in 2022. So this is an effort funded by the National Education Association, the State Ed, uh, Education Association, and they're trying to strip you of your parental rights. Don't sign away your your right to choose the best education for your child. Excellent. We're here with uh, Corey DeAngelis, Executive Director of the Educational Freedom Institute. He's in Nebraska this week uh, going around talking about this school choice issue uh, out in uh, central Nebraska, western Nebraska. He's going to be out there. Um, Corey, uh, I really appreciate your time and, and taking the time to come and visit with us on the Lincoln Business Beat. We want to inform our people and our members and our listeners of different issues uh, of the day. And so as we kind of wrap up here What's kind of your final message to folks about this issue uh, that you really want them to take home? Like the 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 big like the big thing. Make sure you don't forget this. I mean, don't forget whenever you see someone trying to get you to sign something that says "support our schools." They're they're running a campaign of lies. They're trying to get you to sign away your right to choose the best education for your child. Instead, you should go to the legislature and say, "I heard about this opportunity scholarship program." We should expand that. I want more of a say in my child's education. I believe kids and parents are the best parent people to determine the education that works best for their kids. Kids don't belong to the government. The money meant for educating them does not belong to the government institutions either. And parents should have a say in their ed- kids' education. Expand school choice. Do not sign away your rights with this, this garbage petition to undo uh, education freedom. Excellent. Thank you again, Corey. We appreciate it. I'll make sure we get you the link. Uh, Please feel free to share it. Um, We love to have our guests uh, share when they're on the podcast just to kind of help people uh, see the things that we're talking about. Uh, Appreciate you coming to Nebraska and taking time out of your busy schedule to be here uh, and talk about this issue and especially for joining us on Lincoln Business Beat. Uh, We really appreciate it and wish you the best in your travels across Nebraska. Hopefully you'll get a good hamburger, a good steak, and uh, a few good uh, ears of corn while you're here in Nebraska. Uh, Take advantage of our great agriculture here in Nebraska. Totally. Thank you guys so much for having me. All right. Thanks, Corey. Have a great day. Wow, what a conversation. That was uh, that was very uh, interesting, and I did not realize the statistics were as broad as what Corey was able to, across multiple states. Yeah, I was... I was fascinated just to hear. I mean, he's been around the country talking about this issue. Um, he's pretty well versed in this issue. And so it's it's good to have one of the well, it's kind of fun to have a national <laughs> a national person on our show. So we'll have to work on that a little bit more. Uh, but also just to be able to get those examples. He talked about Vermont. He talked about Wayne or Maine and, and he talked about Florida. And so um, some good examples, I think, of of what's happened and and. I appreciate him taking the time to be with us. And the statistics from from the research studies, uh, I I was amazed how extensive the research has been done in these situations. I always thought this school choice was something relatively new, but they've got some significant data that shows school choice uh, helps both, like he said, lifts, uh, you know, rising tide lifts all boats. Well, and going back that far, I think that I took that away too, Mark, is, you know, They've got research for years. This isn't just like in the last 15 months. It's it's several years of research. And the one fun thing that he said is, you know, somebody that always talks about budgets and taxes, it's actually not ta- it's actually not the government's money until we hand it over. <laughs> That's why I hold my property tax check until the last day and get it postmarked on the last day. 
Uh, the, the other one that I, I found interesting uh, is when they say uh, you have to support your schools, and he says, no, let's support our students. I have always been a huge advocate of supporting our students. Education is just a an important cornerstone uh, for our young people and to help them develop. And it, to me, every decision needs to be about the student. Um, it needs to be about the student straight up, and I, I've always been an advocate on that side of it. Well, it'll be interesting to see how this goes. I mean, we've got, what, another year? Uh, that well, they- they've got about... Another month-ish, because I think by the end of August, they have to turn in the petition signatures. Then they have to go through the verification process, which will probably take four to six weeks. So we're probably looking in sometime in October. We'll have a good idea of whether or not this will be on the ballot or not. So, um, And then once we find out if it is going to be on the ballot or if it isn't, I think regardless of this decision by the Secretary of State's office and determination by them, I think there's going to be a court litigation, um, and this would ultimately be on the ballot in November of 2024 during a general election, which is going to be a, I mean, it's a presidential election year, so that turns out a lot of voters. So if it does get on the ballot, there will be, you think there's a lot of back and forth now. (laughs) I was amazed at the amount of money that he was telling us it's already come into the state on this. Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, huge. Well, uh, yeah, it was great to have Corey DeAngelis. Again, Educational Freedom Educational Freedom Institute. You can Google that and learn more about that organization as well. And to learn more about LIBA? L-I-B-A dot O-R-G on the web. Or you can email me if you have questions or would like to visit about anything or have ideas about the show, bud at L-I-B-A dot org. And uh, join us with our events. we got a lot of events coming up this next month. We'll talk about those next week. And one is on specifically on one specific educational institution here in Lancaster County in southeast Nebraska, and that's next month's uh, LIBA Luncheon. Yeah, our luncheon will have Dr. Paul Illich. We've talked about that um, southeast community college levy uh, situation, and we've talked about it on here. So Dr. Illich is going to have an opportunity to come present to the members, and he's willing to take questions. So uh, we will certainly be uh, ready for that when he comes in later this month. And be sure and uh, share this uh, podcast with your uh, friends, colleagues, as we always like to help get the word out. Absolutely. Share it on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, whatever you got. Just pass it along to your friends. Send it in a text message. And if you've got a, an idea for another uh, Lincoln Independent Business or the Lincoln Business Beat topic you'd like us to discuss, again, bud at liba, L-I-B-A dot O-R-G. This has been the Lincoln Business Beat from the Lincoln Independent Business Association and KLIN Radio, reviewing and updating business owners and community members about what's happening in the business community in and around Lincoln. Along with LIBA President and CEO Bud Seinhorst, I'm Mark Vail. Lincoln Business Beat is made possible by the 1890 Initiative. Visit 1890nebraska.com where 100% of your donation goes directly to Husker student-athletes.